Welcome to Daily Kosa's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Kos and your co-host, along with senior political writer Carrie Eleveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Kos The Brief. It's our weekly show about politics. I'm Marcos Molitsis here with co-host Carrie Eleveld. Today, we're going to be talking about messaging about the Democratic Party's messaging heading into the 2022 midterm elections. Gary, this is a topic that you just love to, uh, to write about, to talk about, to think about. Well, yeah. And I mean, part of the reason is, is that it seems like Democrats for a while, at least, and maybe they're coming around, have, have really backed away from any attacks on the Republican Party. And as we keep noting here, you know, in my writing, other activists keep noting it. There's just so many issues on which Republicans have handed them amazing stuff, you know, anywhere ranging anywhere from. Uh, January 6th and Trump, you know, likely having committed crimes to, you know, Madison Cawthorn's orgy, you know, GOP <laughs> orgies. And, you know, I mean, like there's, there's the like the real stuff. And then there's the like, oh, my God, these people are nutsoid stuff. Right. Um, so, you know, there, there's like federal judge rulings. There's Washington, D.C. scuttlebutt where one of their own rats them out. I mean, it just like it goes on and on. Yeah, we have a there's a lot of material to work with. I mean, last week's episode we had on uh, from Media Matters, we had Angelo Caruson, who talked about what Republicans, the cultural war things that Republicans are using, this grooming children, right? Because oh, God forbid they find out that that gay people exist, that's grooming them. And and so there's this big sort of debate whether inside the Democratic Party, whether you 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 um, take that head on and you respond to it or you ignore it. And so our guest today is going to be, she's going to be on in about 10, 15 minutes. It's going to be Jennifer Fernandez Ancona. She's an old friend of mine. She has been, uh, she spent years working in women's donor networks. She's a fundraiser. Um, and she's still doing a lot of that work, but she's also a master messenger. And she asked that she's a co-founder of Way to Win, which is an organization that she describes it that tries to get Democrats to be Democrats, like what the Democratic Party should be. She is also a co-founder of Way to Lead PAC. And I'm sure she'll want to talk a little bit about the work they are doing. But she had the organization she's been with. They've been doing some polling, some research into the kind of messaging that motivates and activates people ahead of 2022. And, and we'll be, I mean, I don't want to steal her thunder and, and, <laughs> and you know, and, and talk about what she's going to talk about. But the idea is, like you just said, is that there's, it's a target-rich environment. And why are we not engaging with that? Democrats are always defensive. They're always afraid to hit Republican tax head on. There's almost a feeling, Carrie, that, oh, my God, what do they know that I don't know? Like yeah, oh, it, uh, trans trans people using bathrooms. What do they know that I don't know? I know. And then they get know, all fearful. And the, and the other thing that's that's really, you know, wild about it is how rarely these, you know, I, I know everybody harkens back to like 2004, 2006 and the, you know, the anti-gay 
uh, marriage amendments, right, that swept through the states. Um, you know, everybody quotes that as gospel, that that won George W. Bush's second term. I'll tell you who doesn't quote that as gospel is Karl Rove is Ken Mailman, right? The, the people running the GOP strategy don't think that's what it was. They think it was a national security election. That's why nine, he it was won 9-11. Re-election, was, right? Yeah. So, but everybody quotes that as gospel. You can go back, you can look at the states that, that George W. Bush picked up and they didn't have, um, they didn't even have constitutional amendments, the anti-gay mm-hmm. constitutional amendments on the ballot. There's, there's no, you know, anyone who's really dug into the numbers, there's, there's no conclusive evidence that that's true. But nonetheless, since then, you know, this idea that Republicans are winning on culture, culture war issues just creeps up again and again and again. And I got to tell you, <clears throat> the, the transgender attacks, okay, it's a slightly different angle this time. Uh, because it's 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 targeted at trans athletes and specifically female trans athletes, um, but but the, they haven't won anything in on trans stuff in in, in forever. Like they, every you know, Texas decided to cut loose on trans stuff in 2018 because they realized that it was it was not working for them. Now I don't know they they probably I'm sure they've introduced bills since then on the trans athlete stuff. You want to take uh you know North Carolina Republican governor uh Pat McCrory <clears throat> in 2016. That was a a banner year for Republicans. They won everywhere. Guess who got kicked out of office that year? GOP Governor McCrory, who signed the original bathroom bill, right? The I mean, his campaign was re- revolved around it. It wasn't it even he just signed. It. That and, was his core issue. Right. That was his core issue. And he, I don't think he really wanted it to be his core issue, but it became his core issue because he couldn't avoid it. And he was kicked out of office because of it. Right. Now, that's uh, it, actually it a good narrow, point. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a red state, too. I mean, yeah, it's purplish. Right. right. But it's a three to four point Republican state in a Republican year and a Democrat one. Um, but that's a good point. I just really want to hone in on what you said. It's like uh, you don't think he wanted to talk about that. Right. And mm-hmm. this idea that Republicans are onto something really is 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 not it's demonstrably false. And it really is their base dragging them to where they don't want to be. And we're seeing this a lot with Donald Trump, right? He is the sort of core embodiment. Uh, and he is he he's promoting people like Herschel Walker that are just fringe crank uh, Senate candidates. And in a year that should lean Republican just because of historic trends, he's really giving us a fighting chance in a lot of these Senate races. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you, look, if you look at the the investments, the, the Democratic super PAC that's aligned with Chuck Schumer and the McConnell aligned super PAC for Republicans, they just made their initial investments, right? Their initial ad buys for reserving space so that they can make sure that they have enough you know, action um, in, in August uh, through the through the fall, through November. And if you look at where if you look at where Republicans are putting their money, a lot of it is de- is they're playing defense. They're playing defense on, you know, uh, uh, in uh, North Carolina to preserve that seat, in Pennsylvania to preserve that seat. They're pouring a boatload of money into Georgia. And to me, it's not a sign of strength. It's a sign of weakness. They think they're, they're, they have to carry Herschel Walker across the finish line there because it's their best pickup chance in Georgia. And they're, they're pu- putting 30 se- – they've already – 
They've already reserved $37 million. I guarantee you it will not stop there. And that's just a super PAC, right? That's an outside group. That's not McConnell, Senate majority, you know, Senate minority PAC, whatever. I can't remember what they're all called. But anyway, so the Senate majority PAC is actually Democratic and the Senate leadership fund is the the Republican PAC. But what I'm saying is there's going to be a lot more money, but their biggest investment by far of that outside group was in Georgia. And that and and right now, Herschel Walker is polling OK. He's a couple points ahead of Senator uh, Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock. But it, that is but he had first of all, Warnock is raising money hand over fist and he hasn't even started to go to work on Herschel Walker yet. Um, and Herschel Walker has just a boatload of personal baggage. So if you look at where the, these outside groups are putting their money, the, uh, the Republicans are pouring a ton of money into Georgia because they have to carry Herschel Walker across the finish line there in hopes of a pickup. And then they're playing a whole lot of defense, uh, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, et cetera, in order to try and keep the seats that that, you know, could could be troublesome for them. So. Yeah, and um, I just want to, before people start freaking out too much, um, Republicans led in the polling in Georgia in the general election in 2020 and in the runoff election as well. Uh, the reason Democrats won is because of massive turnout in South uh, Western Georgia, which is rural black uh, counties. And these are people that are traditionally undercounted by 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 polling, right? So, so the fact that it's, you know, a couple of points ahead, Nobody's going to pretend that it's anything less than a tied race at this point. But your point really stands. You know, Democrats actually haven't started really picking apart Herschel Walker. And again, (laughs) target rich environment. We're going to keep I feel like we're going to keep saying that because Republicans are doing everything in their power to make this a competitive season. Donald Trump included just his his big footing and big mouth. I mean, they are the 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 and this is something I definitely want to talk to to jennifer about is how much does that make it a referendum between trump and biden as opposed to just a referendum on biden right exactly yeah i mean and that's what that's what she's talking about we'll get into it a little bit we've talked about this before we've mentioned it but i don't think we've gone into good detail on it is is this idea that you have to have a hero and a villain in every story and if democrats are just talking about their you know about about their accomplishments and they're trying to sell themselves solely on their accomplishments there's no hero and villain in that story it's just you know it's just do you like what democrats are done are have done you know versus do you like what Democrats are doing? And would you like it if Republicans were in charge right now? Just think if Trump were president right now and the war in Ukraine had unfolded under his watch. I mean, I just can't imagine what a debacle that would be and how how quickly we would be shifting toward siding with authoritarianism, yeah. you know, as our democracy. Trump would want to send arms to Russia. Yeah, yeah totally. He, I mean, he's just like unbelievable. But anyway, thank God we're not in that situation. That's all I have to say. No, absolutely. So um, there's that's not just the only race. Uh, he's Trump is big footed into Ohio. And now yes. the Ohio Republican Party seems to be in a in a all out civil war, including the base is not happy. You, you've written yeah. about that. 
Yeah, well, the base is not happy. And I have to say, so I've written about it. I've written about, this is a similar scenario to what's happening in Pennsylvania. You love this story. You love I've it. Written, <laughs> I've written more about this in Pennsylvania. So let me pick about Pennsylvania a little bit because I, 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 it's just a slightly more knowledgeable on all the scuttlebutt, right? Which is, that, which is that Trump decided at the last minute, remember, Trump's already endorsed once in Pennsylvania. He endorsed a alleged wife abuser who had to drop <laughs> out of the race after he lost custody of his children, right? Imagine I mean, Republican dropping out because, like, at this point, because you know, wife beating is not a good enough reason to drop out. Sexual assault is not a good enough reason. They 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 get they gain points. No, they gain points. They they. I mean, just imagine, like, how bad was that? Was the stuff that came out in that you know um, in that marriage dispute about Sean Parnell that he was like, I'm just, I think I'm just out of here. And he just dropped out. Right. So, so, so Trump is already like misfired once misfire one. Oh, whoops. Um, And then it's like, okay. So he's like, now everybody was like, just stay out, right. Let the primary happen. I think it happens on May 24th, 27th, something like that. So, so uh, in Pennsylvania, so, you know, we're not that far away. He could just hang out and wait for it to happen. I think, David Cormack, I mean, David McCormick, who is a, you know, a a, a business person, um, more reasonable, typically, but also has like sold his soul to try and get, uh, you know, Trump's endorsement is has been going head to head with with TV huckster, Dr. Mehmet Oz. Right. And and Trump decided Instead of staying out because he had already was fired once, he just wanted to take another shot. And so he he endorsed Oz and the base went crazy. I mean, like former Owen anchors were like, why is he doing this? Roger Stone weighed in with something negative. Something's gone weird between Stone and Trump. God only knows, you know, Um, but like, you know, Eric Erickson, I mean, just a whole bevy of of conservative radio hosts, right wingers, et cetera. The base sort of exploded about why did you pick Oz? He's a total huckster. He's a carpetbagger. He's like, no one thinks he's MAGA enough. And this is who Trump. And, he, and, and, he's, so he, and he's, and he's Brown too. Oh he's, God. He's, oh God. Not that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. No, you think yeah. race doesn't have a factor and he's Turkish, I believe. Right. It's uh, yeah, I think so. So, I mean, the whole thing is just, it's, just a disaster for the Republican Party trying to get, you know, trying to like preserve that seat, make sure that, you know, it doesn't because it was held by uh, Pat Toomey, who was a Republican. And and Democrats have a reasonably good shot of picking up that seat. They have a couple good, you know, um, they have a couple good candidates there. But the thing that was so funny was the Washington posted a piece on the reason that Trump decided to endorse Dr. Oz. And then and and one of the things that it came down to was, I mean, Trump, Trump told one of his aides, well, I'm a gambler. So, you know, he's just like rolling the dice a second time in Pennsylvania. Who knows? But the other thing he said was that their aides, his aides said that he likes to watch people's numbers go down when he endorses their opponent. Oh, dear God. <laughs> Oh I my mean, God. you know, right. not not vetting just the sheer pleasure, the sadistic pleasure he gets out of like watching someone's numbers plummet because he endorsed their opponent. I mean, you know, talk about Mitch McConnell, like ripping out what what's left of his hair right now. Um, so, you know, it's just like and the same thing really is playing out very similarly in Ohio. The race yeah, yeah. is quite as clean cut, but it's very similar. So he just yeah. endorsed J.D. Vance there. 
JD Vance over two other over Josh Mandel, who was like kind of seen as the He's, right, Looney, but he was seen as like the real Trumpy guy, right? Um, because then, he is. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Time goes are related. Um, so, so once again, you know, I mean, and and look, if if this thing really starts to go sideways for Republicans, Tim Ryan, who I'm pretty sure is going to be <clears throat> the Democratic yeah, uh, yeah. nominee there, right? He's got a chance of making that a real race, even though it's, it's a, Ohio. Even it's though an it's outside Ohio. chance, but you're right. There is an outside chance. And depending on how how the winds shift, it could become competitive. And even if Republicans have to now spend 40 million dollars defending Ohio, that's a win in all in more of the closely contested states. So it Carrie, it's time to bring on our guest. She is Jennifer Fernandez Ancona. She's an old friend. She lives right here near me. She's she's also a neighbor. Uh, Known her from the Netroots back in the, you know, Netroots Nation and. And she is the co-founder of Way to Win. Mm-hmm. And she's also, I think you're a co-founder of Way to Lead Pack as well. Mm-hmm. So welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Great to see so, you both. So Jennifer, can you talk a little bit about your origin story? Like we, we consider our guests to be superheroes. And, and there's a reason you are where you are today. What was that path that put you in this path towards, towards activism and fighting for our country's democracy? And, and talk a little bit about your organizations today. Yeah, absolutely. So I started out actually as a journalist. I was originally a news reporter. I worked at the LA Times um, and I thought I would always be a journalist because I loved it. I loved talking to people, getting information and and putting the story together. Um, But I was actually quite radicalized during the um, Bush presidency, the first, the W. Bush presidency, the, the 9-11 response. How how, how quaint, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right? I know. Back in the day, (laughs) which seemed really bad, but now seems fine. Right. Right. Um, But was just very, um, kind of taken with the protests to around the war in Iraq and, um, the, the Bush response. I, I just felt very moved to actually get into politics. I, so I, I left my job as a journalist. Um, and as you know, you got involved in Howard Dean's campaign. That was my first campaign that got me into politics as a volunteer. And then because I had a, you know, writing and comms background, I ended up doing a lot of communications work, both for inside the government, I worked for the California Assembly for a while, and then outside organizations. So I've always been a communicator and kind of a movement builder. Um, I come from a split family and my mother's family is from El Salvador. My father's family was from the South in Tennessee. And so I've always, yeah. Um, El Salvador, not Tennessee, but Tennessee. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> El Salvador. Um, have been just like a bridge builder. You know, I've been a bridge builder from the time I was a child. And I think that's continuing what I continue to like to do and ended up doing a lot of um, multiracial coalition building. I thought that was one of the most important things that we needed to do, you know, in a diverse community of the Democratic Party, we need to be doing more multiracial coalition building. So um, then, as you said, I went, went to work for the Women Donors Network for about 10 years I got into donor organizing by working for Steve Phillips, who you also know, I think, um, who wrote the book, Brown is the New White, worked for him and got into that world of major donor organizing. And for me, it was really important why I spent so much time at WDN is because in this world of progressive movement building, where the money comes from is really important. Like how the money is organized is is an upstream way of actually influencing um, the ultimate outcomes of the movement. So I found a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of great 
um, satisfaction in working at that donor level. And I did that at the uh, Women Donors Network for about 10 years. And then Trump got elected. And um, in and you were radicalized again. <laughs> Once again. I'm well, still triggered. Still. <laughs> the, Too soon. The women donors. I know. Um, they had been doing like more, a lot of philanthropy, you know, um, nonpartisan work. They had been doing more on the kind of um, foundation side of things. And so we knew, you know, like this isn't going to cut it. We, we know that with Trump being elected, we, if we're going to beat that back, it, there has to be a political strategy. And so I ended up meeting two other women, Leah Hunt Hendricks, who also was running a, a different progressive donor network, and then our, um, Tori Gavito, who was running the Texas Future Project. And she was really building a strategy for how you could turn Texas blue over 10 years, which was a, really a strategy about expanding the electorate, you know, changing who you're talking to by bringing more people into the process through organizing, essentially. So Leah, Tori, and I brought our superpowers together and and we formed Way to Win to say, let's let's since we all agree, let's build one strategy together, put, put donors into it, and because our, our donors were all wanting to do something that was going to last beyond a, a given election cycle. They were tired of giving and giving to candidate campaigns and then feeling like they weren't getting anything from it. You know, they just it just goes away at the end of the election. So they were wanting to build more lasting infrastructure. And we wanted to do it in a real political strategy context. And so we formed Way to Win. Since we did that, the three of us, women-led organization, we moved over $200 million to field <laughs> since 2017. Yeah, to grassroots community-based organizations doing this year-round organizing. And we focused on... Oh, go ahead. Why, why would you do that instead of just plowing all of that money into advertising? <laughs> In the last here. two months of a campaign. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it's true, right? Because a lot of our tactics have been just too short term. Now, I believe in advertising. So we'll talk about that later. I believe in the role of advertising, but it has to be done hand in hand with with also with the deep organizing. For me, it's really the two those two things going together is when we win, which we did see happening in Georgia. So, so anyway, it's so a way to win. Um, we've been around for that long. We've been um, organizing donors into this strategy. We've been doing this funding and we focus on about 10 states. And a lot of our states are in the South and Southwest where demographic change is really fueling this possibility for more political change. So it's the Stacey Abrams strategy, just like expanded out to more places where we can shift power, like Texas, North Carolina and Florida. And, you know, and we don't look away from Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Those are all important, too, especially around building multiracial coalition between between all of us, you know, whether we're white, black, Latino, a Asian, et cetera. So. Well, I, that's really exciting stuff. I have to admit, so I so I've. I've been looking at some of Way to Win stuff, it, it, specifically in terms of messaging. So I'm not as familiar with, you know, exactly where you're pushing money towards and whatever. But yeah. I've been interested because uh, your your message seems to be to Democrats, hey, let's get a little more aggressive here. I know it's not in your DNA, but uh, we can't shy away from this stuff. And in particular, I you talked to Greg Sargent from the Washington Post for an article, and you said, look, every story has to have a hero and a villain, and you have to paint Republicans as a villain. And I was like, yes, yeah, <laughs> yes, doing, you know, a little yeah. happy dance. Um, so yeah. tell us a little bit about what what kind of messaging, you know, ideas you came up with for this particular midterm, right? And yeah. 
and and how you came to those. I know you guys did some polling too. So yeah. um, just give it paint, paint a picture for us of where you are now based on what you've learned. Definitely. So yes, you're right. Like in addition to all of this grassroots organizing that we have been funding, we really saw in 2020 very clearly that we also needed much more work on messaging. That 2018, the- 2016, 2014, <laughs> yeah. 2012, 2010. Have we exactly. ever, ever? <laughs> have we ever not? No, it's true. But it just became very clear. You know, there was a part of us that thought, oh, we, we can get people organized, you know, it'll work. But it doesn't work if you don't have the air war going together with the ground war you know, kind of both of them working together. So we created this new capacity at Way to Win called the Midterm Message Project. So it's kind of like an R&D project that we created in order to figure this out to influence others. You know, that's what part of why we didn't do that press and we've been briefing people. We're trying to influence the Democratic Party and other folks who are doing this messaging work as well. So we actually spent almost the entire year last year diving in, doing a lot of research, um, both quantitative and qualitative you know, listening to voters. And we really were like, wanting to understand, you know, we know that who elected Biden, it was a multiracial coalition, right? It was a a multi-generational coalition. We couldn't have won any state with just white voters or with just older voters. We had all of it was needed, right, to actually win. So what makes them tick, you know, not only them as individual groups, but kind of how do you find a message that resonates across the whole? Because that's one of the things that we find is that, in democratic messaging, one of the challenges is just how much it's sliced and diced by different audiences and very like micro-targeted, and it kind of misses the forest for the trees. And that's really what the GOP does so well. This idea of telling a story, like telling one strong, emotionally resonant story over and over and over again, because we know repetition also matters, that would actually work across work well across ideology ideology so we want to be getting our liberal you know activists excited about what we're saying we don't want to turn them off because we need them to help us turn out the vote but then we also want to persuade folks who are a little bit more in the middle so that's what we were really trying to do with our message framework or with our which message is, project. Which I have to say, it's it that is a tall order. I mean, one of the reasons that it's so easy for Republicans in a way is because they for the most part, they really are just targeting white Americans. I mean, that is like the main thing yeah. that they're doing. So it's easier to tell the coherent story that you think resonates in the focus groups and the polling and whatever, like you come up with the narrative that you think it's going to, you know, and yeah. particularly in the midterms, they don't worry about swing voters. I mean, if you've noticed like every single message they have is geared towards like a third of the electorate and is geared towards you know, that their base, their base to the exclusion of everybody else. They're not trying to get to 50 plus one, you know, they're, they're yeah. trying to rig the election so they don't have to get there. They're trying to suppress the vote, rig the election on the back end if they need to, but also, yeah. and just, and just turn out their people. They're trying to their people exclusively. So sorry, go ahead. Yeah. It's okay. Well, but what's in, what's really interesting about this is that what we found is, you know, there's kind of a scarcity mindset in general, there's been a scarcity mindset in America, but it's really been amped up because of COVID because of inflation. I mean, now with the war, like there's just a feeling of scarcity and the right is really seizing on that with these, we call them status threat narratives because it's, it's all about fear of other groups, other classes and fear of something being taken away from you. And also just fear of change in general. And there's a lot of change happening in the world, you know, for a legitimate 
reasons and and, and it's all for good, but there's a, a climate that creates a scarcity. So, but what we found is that while the right, we think their messaging has, has been mostly effective with white people, what we found in some of our research is that it has increasingly been more effective with communities of color as well, particularly with black men, with Latino community and with API community. So it's something we have to be aware of, right? It is actually the status threat is starting to pull apart our own coalition. And we know that, right, their numbers are such that they mostly have to win the white vote and then they have to peel off a little bit around the edges. We don't have that project. We have the project of like a mostly equal parts, you know, people of color and white coalition. We have to speak in a way that isn't going to throw one part of the coalition under the bus in order to serve the other, you know, and that is has really been a kind of standard democratic practice, to your point very much in contrast with the right strategy, which is a base engagement and mobilization strategy, which does work for them. Because at the end of the day, it's those people who are fired up, who are going to come and turn out and who, and then there's enough around the edges, right. For them to win like that. We saw that clearly happen in Virginia. So, so you have this problem with a scarcity. And so what we have, but what I would say is, so through all of our testing, so we've, we've done, we do polling. So we, we find out like where people are, you know, we've, do qualitative where we actually really listen to people in a deep way. Like we do these um, really long panels, um, online panels where people answer questions and you really get to read underneath the why behind why they think a thing. We've done a ton of focus groups. So we take all that in to just understand where people are at. And then based on, we, we look, look at the research on what works. You know, we, we listen to a not Shankar Osorio. You know, we listen to all of the experts who are telling us what works. And then we make ads, 30 second ads usually, because it really forces you to crystallize your argument. And then we test those ads in um, on a tool called, called Swayable, where it's a randomized controlled trial test. So it's sort of like a poll. They, they watch the ad, they see the survey, mm-hmm. there's a control group. So you can then see um, how does this message move people across different demographics? So that's like a lot of the quantitative data that we have. So we did this throughout all of 2021. We tested our messages. We also tested the opposition's messages that we see, you know, all of the GOP ads. And we tested a lot of our other kind of Democratic allied counterparts ads to see what's going on. And where we really landed, which which you mentioned, talked about in that Greg Sargent piece, is this is this idea that this is a contrast election. So you can think about for two, 2008, it was a, that was a yes election. It was like, yes, we want this new hope and change. You know, 2020 was a no election. It was like, no, we do not want this guy to continue to be the president. So, but this cannot be just a yes or just a no election because of where people are. We need to give them, a, we need to start actually with a positive, concrete, sort of like, this is what Democrats have done because number one people don't know what democrats have done even though we want democrats to have done more they have done a lot of good things that the governing like you said that we're doing is much better than we would see with the republicans but nobody gets that nobody these voters don't know it they're not connecting those dots at all so we need to be really clear like here's who we are here's what we do here you know and 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 really get our own side in the argument not not be mealy mouthed about it. <laughs> I don't know why the voters aren't reading the congressional record to see all the great legislation that we're passing. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's not getting through, right? But the, but um, and part of it is because we're not even telling the story. So tell the tell the story. Shout it from the rooftops. Like say what we've done in concrete terms that actually resonate with people. Like creating the best economy that we've seen in fifty years for workers. You know, they're taking 
a charge of COVID and doing the best we can, all these millions of people being vaccinated. There's a lot we can work with. But then the contrast has to come in. That's like, these guys are extreme. Like, this is where we brought in the attack on the Capitol. It's trying to overturn election results, you know, with violence. That's just one of the extreme ways that they're, you know, what they're doing. They're, They're against masks and vaccines. They're trying to burn books. Like, kind of throwing out all the ways that they're extreme. Just limiting the woman's right to choose was huge for people. They, I mean, they don't even know. People don't even get what is actually at, you know, at stake in a threat right now. So there has to be a contrast. And this is where I feel like our work has been so important because that it hasn't been happening. I, I mean, and I know you guys have talked about this, but the Republicans are just getting off scot-free. They are, they are not getting blamed for any of the stuff. There has not been enough attack on them out there in the paid media landscape at all. And it's just mind blowing because there is so much to work with. I think what they have done has gone too far, but they're getting away with it. But we that they don't have to. You know, we we actually need to talk about it. What what do you think? So if you were to I'm if you were to take the top two issues that you think Democrats should be touting and then the top two Achilles heels for Republicans, what would they be? Yeah, um, I think for Democrats in two words so- or less. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the job. It's too the much? job. <laughs> job creation. You know, job creation. The recovery from the recession. COVID aid. You know, infrastructure. Those are like words. You know, gotcha. <laughs> That's the best. Jobs is is one uh, better jobs with millions of jobs with better pay and better benefits and better hours. People love that. They want to know that that's been happening. The con- mm-hmm. really concrete benefits that people they're also feeling in their own lives. In terms of the Achilles heels, it's like atta- overturning, trying to overturn the election results with violence for sure. Mm-hmm. Dividing us, trying to divide us by pitting parents against teachers, banning books, burning books attacking the freedom to vote, attacking the, a woman's right to choose what to do with her own body. Those are the big ones. Well, let me just say one more thing, because yeah. it's like the final piece of the puzzle is like, who's the hero of the story? Mm-hmm. And when we talked about, you know, the hero, it's the it's the voters, right? It, it's And it's this coalition of voters, the, the collective of voters who came out in record numbers, who delivered this election in 2020 and can do it again. That That has to be the hero of the story, is talking about Democrats is good, but you can't just say Biden is the hero or these elected people are the hero. You, we really need to elevate like us, the the collective voter, as the hero. So we had Ian Haney Lopez on the show maybe a month or two ago. He's a professor at Cal. He he yeah. um, he's written a book about, and he had a very he's also Salvadoreño. So oh my god, there's like little cabal of us sharing the platform. <laughs> um, and it was very similar. It was it was sort of this multiracial component. Uh, mm-hmm. It was very much that there's a there's a villain, which is I mean I, I forget the exact words that he used, but it, it was sort of an economic system that was really designed to screw into you know people, and and we can overcome that with a multiracial coalition. And his whole yeah. approach was to move beyond the inherent racism in the Republican message that is so appealing to a lot of working class white people. When you talk about these negatives like like January 6th violence and choice and and that it resonates who is it resonating with and I think that's all related to what the electorate is going to look like in 2022 this year because it's not going to be the electorate of 2020 so talking about the 2020 electorate unfortunately we're not going to have that this year there's going to be drop off who is that message activating, engaging? Does it give us a chance to hold on to some of these votes that otherwise would fall off on the midterm? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, and you're right, it's different with a midterm. But when you look at the 2018 midterm turnout, mm-hmm. it was also sky high compared to other midterm turnouts. So there is there is a new voter that came we had a out great villain. <laughs> yeah, the we best had this, villain. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. But I think we can turn that villain like we can use the the energy around that villain, but we can run against MAGA. You know, we can run against that faction. It doesn't have to be just Trump. That's why we say like MAGA Republicans. I mean, that is something we can talk about, right? Um, so, so when I say this message works, like I'm, you know, when we did when we did our testing, our our CT testing, that message. Um, which is which I can say, you know, President Biden and Democrats are getting the balance right, fighting COVID, delivering the best economy for workers in 50 years. But some extreme Republicans are trying to divide us, overturning election results with violence, pitting parents against teachers, limiting the freedom to vote, even burning books. America rejected chaos and division in 2020. We can do it again. So and it is in the, the ad with that 30 seconds works across very liberal, moderate liberal, and moderates. It actually motivates them to want to vote. It also um, improves their approval of Biden by almost four points. And one of the important things that we find is that it also demobilizes the conservative vote, which is what we want. We want them to see a message and then we want them to say, ooh, like, yeah, I'm conflicted. Like, maybe I don't, maybe I don't want to vote. That's what we call it the fire index because we're looking for what motivates our side and motivates our moderates and what demotivates conservatives and what we found in a lot of the testing of um other other messages is that on the democratic ally side is sometimes you know they didn't move that needle at all and sometimes they actually had a backlash effect you know ads that tout bipartisanship which is a favorite (laughs) thing for people Guess what? It moves support for Republicans. You know, that is the bane of our existence. And for as long as I've been in politics, quick, hey, Walter, I just want to talk to our producer real quick. Can you get the White House on the line? We just want to talk to them real quick. Just the, just the lower press shop. We don't need to talk to Saki. We can just talk to you. So is that? I mean, I don't know. I've got a lot of things that I want to do. So. I love it. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. So, um, you know, the, I, so some of these things are giving me hope, <laughs> partly because, I, well, first of all, just the idea that there's really tangible targets to go after is good. Right. It's a good start. Right. Yeah. But then but then we have to get Democrats to act on them. Now, just yeah. assuming that Walter isn't able to get the White House on the line, <laughs> that, you know, what we have is a, a series of things that seem like they're coming down the pike that may actually back Democrats into a corner, right? Mm. The the ruling on um, on Roe v. Wade, uh, mm-hmm. the activist Supreme Court, the extreme Supreme Court mm-hmm. seems g- g- completely poised to gut it, right? Yeah, and that is that that is just going to force Democrats to have to come out on that issue. Yeah. Another thing. Another thing that I think could happen um, it, it, to your point about one six is, you know, I think talk about backing people into a corner. I think uh, Liz Cheney has backed the panel, the, the January 6th panel into the corner of having to prove that um, that, you know, at least I, I don't know if they're going to actually vote to to make a criminal referral. But their report is probably going to prove one way or another that Trump broke the law. Right. Yeah. That, that Trump committed criminal acts. 
Yep. So then ho hopefully it will be incumbent on every reporter, and this is what I would have done, to go around and ask, especially local reporters in these local races, do you support Trump? Do you think, you know, do you continue to support him even though he committed criminal acts? And almost all of those, my guess is, will probably say yes. All right. And I listened. This isn't all coming from me. I'm not a total genius. I was listening to Joe Lockhart on um, <laughs> on a podcast and I was like, that makes so much sense. It's genius. He's a former press secretary for Clinton, I think. Mm. Um, anyway, but he he said, look, Basically, all those Republicans will probably say, yes, I support uh, Trump and I don't think he did it, you know, or whatever they say. And he said that is a that is a issue big enough for every Democratic candidate to try drive a truck truck through if they choose to do it. So, you know, these are issues that you mentioned that were targets um, in your uh, in your messaging and your polling or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think Democrats are going to not only have the opportunity, but almost be forced into addressing them um, and hopefully will do so with gusto. I mean, absolutely. I think that's what we're trying to say. You know, there's there, there is this sort of classic Dem response to be very afraid, right? To be afraid. Um, and then there's a classic sort of like, we just need to talk about kitchen table issues. You know, if we just focus on kitchen table issues, then we won't have to address these things that are hard. And what we're trying to say is like, that is not going to work. It has never worked. Like, I don't know that I can say that it's ever worked. Definitely not in the Trump era. And so they cannot get away with continuing to ignore this stuff and they're and in ignoring it they're actually leaving so much power on the table because it's not only something they may be forced to address to your point it actually helps us like yeah. we, what we found in our testing on the abortion piece when we had this message that was like here's all the great things we've done here's how crazy they are not only are they attacking the Capitol, now they're trying to like get vigilantes to like to track down women who are trying to get health care. You know, every woman should have the right to her own autonomy. And then, you know, when we share that message, it was one of our most mobilizing messages that we tested last year for our side. People see that and they're like, yeah, I want to get out there. I want to volunteer and vote. When all we give them is this like milk toast, I mean, we've been calling it kind of a mellow um, style of storytelling. It's just, it just falls flat and it doesn't excite people and it doesn't mobilize okay. them. So this is, <laughs> okay. So this is a perfect time because there is nothing mellow about this. Uh, I know, clip, I love okay? it. So, right. So we had a chance to, to clue uh, Jennifer in on this just before, because, because our, our producer, who's probably talking to Jen Saki right now, um, dropped it in. <laughs> our channel our slack channel just before and i was like let's get this queued up so this is it's a four minute clip but we're going to only play a minute of it i just want to say we're not going to totally do uh, do justice to senator mallory mcmurrow uh state senator from michigan but she got accused by her opponent of being a groomer supporting pedophilia being you know uh, uh making white kids feel badly about uh about being white because of because racism you know etc so she gets on she 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 has a chance to mull over this and decides to go take it to the senate floor in in michigan and here is uh her re rebuttal of of that I am a straight, white, Christian, married, suburban mom. I want my daughter to know that she is loved, supported, and seen for whoever she becomes. I want her to be curious, empathetic, and kind. 
People who are different are not the reason that our roads are in bad shape after decades of disinvestment or that healthcare costs are too high or that teachers are leaving the profession. I want every child in this state to feel seen, heard, and supported, not marginalized and targeted because they are not straight, white, and Christian. We cannot let hateful people tell you otherwise to scapegoat and deflect from the fact that they are not doing anything to fix the real issues that impact people's lives. And I know that hate will only win if people like me stand by and let it happen. So I want to be very clear right now. Call me whatever you want. I hope you brought in a few dollars. I hope it made you sleep good last night. I know who I am. I know what faith and service means and what it calls for in this moment. We will not let hate win. Uh, reaction to refer to that was that was that a little <laughs> little less mellow than the- <laughs> yeah I mean it's it's great because it, it really is classic of like when this stuff comes up we have to say what we're for we have to paint the picture of what it is we're trying to create that has to be the first thing we do which is what she did I want my daughter to be grow up feeling like herself her full self that is what we want for all of our children that is how we should start every ad, right? That when someone is coming after us around this stuff, all of us believe that our children should be able to be free to be whoever they are. If we miss the step of saying what we're for and we go straight to a defense or we totally ignore it, we're not actually speaking to these real concerns people have. I mean, the concerns, the outrage is kind of fake, but there is some real concern in there. We saw that in education. The outrage around CRT is kind of fake, but the people were really upset about their kids' schools, about COVID shutting down, about them having learning loss. Like there was real concern there. And in, in like in Virginia, Terry McAuliffe didn't really address it. He just kind of dismissed it and he tried to ignore this attack. So that's a classic. It's I loved seeing that because it's like a textbook example of what I'm talking about. I mean, we have to be strong and emotionally resonant with how we talk about this stuff. We have to say what we're for. And then we ha- and the, the other thing she did, which is a, one of my principles, is to, to tack back to why they're doing it, like and to make the connection of like, they're doing this to distract you from the fact that they who have been in charge here have done nothing to help you to fix your roads, to make more investments. You know, they are using this as a total tool to divide us for, so they can hoard all the resources for the, for the rich and the, and the wealthy. Yeah. Everybody complains about the roads. I mean, that was almost (laughs) like almost brilliant because that's the most bipartisan (laughs) issue possible. So yeah, Counterpoint. Counterpoint. (laughs) Hakeem Jeffries, congressman from New York. He's in the Republican uh, Democratic leadership. He's uh, in the U.S. House. I think that was a Freudian slip. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he he said he said no. We just need to ignore all these attacks that are accusing us of of being groomer pedophiliacs and talk about the economy. And and I would almost have some sympathy if we Democrats could talk about the economy. Right. Yeah. But that, but it's inflation, 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 inflation. And you're like, oh, well, inflation might come down in six months instead of talking about all the, you know, the job, the record low jobs numbers, um, the the purchasing power, rising wages, like all the things that actually, yeah, there's inflation. And that's a part of raising wages mm-hmm. and an overheated economy as we emerge from the covid 
um, mm-hmm. lockdowns. But we can't even talk about kitchen table issues. How, now we're like, okay, no, let's focus on the thing we can't talk about, but let's ignore the thing that they're using. I mean, yeah. I, I um, mean, the, so, yeah, I there's no question. I'm just going like, <laughs> to throw it at you because. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's exact. That's exactly right. But what I'm, what I'm saying is this is what we've been trying to figure out. And, and I think where we have landed is that we actually can do both and we should do both. Like we need to talk about the ways that the Biden team has helped shepherd this economic recovery. We can talk about that, even though there is inflation, we can still talk about is the greatest recovery we've ever seen. We can talk on and on about that, but we can't only talk about that. And my point is that you actually can do both. Like politics isn't solitaire, right? That's what a not Shankar Osorio always says. So you can't just expect to talk about your thing. And the, but when the other guys are talking about this other thing, if you don't address it, like you can't win, you know? So I, I mean, my point is to resist that idea that, oh, we just, just have to focus on these kitchen yeah. table issues. Cause of your point, number one, we don't have a good track record of doing that. But number two, like if we operate in that world and then they're operating in this other world, like we've already seen that movie. We saw it in Virginia. It did not work. So my point is like, we can do both. We can address the culture in the contrast. So if we talk about the, so if if I'm saying you guys, it's a three part approach, it's a start positive, it's a go negative, and then it's an end positive with the idea of like voters as the hero and like multiracial solidarity, right? It's pretty simple. You can literally slot any issue into that framework. That's what we've been finding. We, we've been testing it with abortion. We've done it with CRT. We've done it with trans kids. You can do it with this, any of this stuff. You talk about something positive that we're, we're Democrats. This is what we're trying to do. And, and also there's a lot more to do. You know, we need, we, we're not done. Like we've done a bunch of great stuff, but it hasn't been enough and we need to do more. There's a contrast that comes in. It's like, and then we're trying, they're trying to divide us by calling us pedophiles. Well, like, you know, we're, we believe all of our kids should be able to be free. And, you know, you can do it all actually together. There is a way to do it. You, you can use their division in the message to actually paint them as the kind of out of touch, extreme, you know, beholden to corporate interests party. Like you, you can do both. And now do you have to do that in every single message? Maybe not, but there is definitely a way that I think our overarching story should be something like that, right? Where it's like, this is who we are. This is what we're trying to do. The Republicans are out of touch and they're like doing all of this kind of stuff. They're trying to distract you and divide you from book bans to pedophilia to whatnot. But really the bottom line is they're just trying to hoard all the resources. They're not lifting a finger to help any of us. And you know what? Like we, we're not standing for that. And we've come together across our differences before, and we're going to do it again. You know, and that. Your, and your roads you know, suck. Yeah. What'd you say? <laughs> and your roads suck. Yeah, and your roads suck, it. especially if you're in a, in a GOP controlled where Republicans <laughs> have controlled the Michigan state legislature for exactly. like, I don't know, 20 years or something. So exactly. Um, the one thing I took, you know, just just so the framework you're you're laying out and um, the way you're like you're setting the scene. Right. That's part of the problem is that the, is that Democrats, I think, haven't quite set the scene yet. Yeah. Um, and and 
if you give people, if you, if you get a framework and you get people, you get voters, you know, by routinely sort of pointing out what the Republicans are doing, eventually you can reduce it down to a sort of shorthand. And this is one of the things I took from the conversation we had with Professor Haney Lopez was the, Mm -hmm. was that at some point, you know, when they say pedophilia and when they say, you know, critical race theory and whatever, you Mm -hmm. can get to a point where you can kind of use the Gipper's line of, Oh, there they go again. You know, like, because once you've seeded the ground, right. Once you, once you've given people and voters the context for how they're doing this whole thing as a distraction, they don't have to talk about the bad roads you know, the the yeah. fact that they're hoarding all the money toward the they, top, the fact they've that they've done tax, nothing. Yeah, right. The facts they've done nothing, the fact that the healthcare costs are high and the fact that they're tr- that they apparently now want to tax a hundred million, you know, right. million working American families. Like th- it's yeah. all a distraction. And once once um, voters have that framework, it's really easy for them to spot it. Right. Totally. But they, they just haven't built that framework. Exactly. You nailed it, Carrie. That's exactly right. And, and I mean, this is where repetition comes in. Yeah, we're done. Well, we kind of did figure it out. But now we got to get the repetition, you know, everyone needs to be saying it. Yeah, I I was gonna ask. Okay, great. Like, (laughs) will Democrats is there in your work? Are you getting a sense that Democrats are sort of receptive to this message and plan to adopt it? I mean, okay, clearly not. Jeffries. Yeah, we need to work on Jeffries. Well, we have been, um, we have been trying, there is openness, I think there is openness to getting that this culture war stuff is is a problem. And that it is going to bite them if they don't tackle it. And we didn't, I don't know if we have time to go into their other bad habit, which, which um, was uh, my colleague Leah Hunt, Hart Hendricks wrote about. Go into it. In go into it. Politico, which is that they'd also, ra- their other tendency is to then kick, kick the activists, you know, mm. punch, mm. punch down instead of punching up. So that is what we're fighting. Um, this tendency of like, oh, we're going to address culture change by being like, I love the police. I want to give the police more money, you know, like, no, <laughs> that's not the right way to do it. So, but I will, but to your point, like on the, on the openness, I think there's openness. We've been having good conversations. Are they going to adopt it? I don't know. I think we have made some influence in, in some of the places where we've met with folks and they're like, okay, they see the research. It's really black and white. You know, the numbers don't lie. So we have been really using, this isn't our opinion. This is literally black and white numbers showing that this works with this coalition that we're trying to move. So there's been openness. I haven't seen like a full adoption, but there's a lot of us who are out there saying this. And then the more of us who say it, I I mean, I think there's a chance. I think, you know, we're all, we also have to show. We also have to show by doing. So, you know, we're trying to do that and we're trying to build up um, an actually like an early um, campaign, like an, an advertising campaign that could go in the summer that would start to lay this groundwork. Again, we need to get the we need to like lift the Democratic Party brand because it's not yeah. happening right now, you know, and because, yeah. Do you think you've made the inroads that when something like the one six, the January six report comes out or when something like, you know, we're coming up to that moment when we're going to where the uh, Roe v. Wade uh, decision is going to drop that you can like reach out and say, hey, we've we've tested this and we have this memo ready to go and just send it to them. Do you have yeah. that type of relationship? Well, that's good because I guarantee you they're not sitting around right now. Most of them are not sitting around trying to figure out 
how they're going to capitalize on those moments, which I yeah. just seems like political, like, I, I mean, malpractice to me, but I, I, yeah. I just can't imagine that they're doing it because they would already be implementing what, you know, what's in those messaging packets anyway. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. I think that's totally right. And that's exactly what we have been trying to do, capitalizing on these moments and we'll continue to do. Um, and we're also going to have to kind of do it ourselves in some, in some way and show the way. But I feel like this cycle is really important for us to do that, to build towards the 2024 cycle. Like we can't be figuring this out in 2024. We, we need to actually get alignment on this basic framework and sort of overall story that should carry us actually all the way through to 2024. It's it's not cute to keep reinventing a message. You just need to pick one and stick with it and repeat it. (laughs) That's, that's where I'm at. Yeah. We're, we're big critics of the traditional democratic party, um, way they they do advertising right which is they hoard all this money and they spend hundreds of millions of dollars three weeks before mm-hmm. the election and poof right. like nothing's been built no message has right. been stuck everything's right. hyper targeted so there's no overriding message and i i yeah. like my dream would be there's a reason coke and pepsi and ford spend money year round exactly. advertising in, at major events and major shows and and yep. sponsorships to create that brand and the democratic yep. party brand is trash so why not spend that energy in a broad-based, values-based campaign to talk about what we are for? And yeah. uh, But that's, I mean, I, I've never seen anything even remotely close to anything like that happening. It'd be great if you guys could uh, We're trying. <laughs> pull it we're up. actually trying that. <laughs> that's what we're trying. We're going we're gonna to do this summer messaging campaign where we're going to try that out and get some data back to show how this works. Because then if that does work, we need to do it all throughout 2023 in the lead up to the next election. Like that is my, that you you nailed the point. Like we can't take an off day. And by the way, the, the conservatives don't. Like they, they were spending on really good, really effective messaging throughout all of 2021. So I'm with you. I think it's a big gap and we are going to try to work on it. So, and they also have Fox news. So we're pretty much out of time. (laughs) Unfortunately, time always flies when we're having these great conversations. Yeah. I'd like to give you a chance to let people know how they can, you know, join your effort or or help you do what you're doing. Thank you. Well, like we said, um, waytolead.us, that's our pack. Uh, we support candidates up and down the ballot who are kind of champion champions for us and who are championing these messages. We also fund um, groups, campaigns in swing states that are supporting those candidates. And then we're also going to be doing some of that ad buy messaging work through that pack. So I think if folks want to get get connected to that, that would be great way to lead.us. Um, also all this research that I've been talking about, I am very much a believer in open source and making it public. So we have a research hub on um, online and I created a special link for you all that uh, bit.ly um, slash DKMMP for midterm message project. Um, so you, your listeners can check that out and access all of our memos and all of the deep dives. If people want to really geek out. Um, and then I would just encourage people to get involved locally right like you know get involved locally however you can with can with the party with campaigns um find those organizations that engage like you all do um activists in swing states like really do it because it is going to take all of us to do this not only with our dollars but with our time as well to win this let election me, let me just repeat that is that bitly.dkmmp is that what it was it was it's yeah bitly bit.ly slash dkmmp got it yeah 
That's amazing. Yeah, so this, that's- is, this is a this is the most like together <laughs> <laughs> self pitch we I think we've ever know, heard. That was fantastic. It's, it's good. We'll have her back. We'll have her back. <laughs> the, li- the link sealed the deal. The link sealed it. <laughs> Jennifer Fernandez Ancona. She's with waytolead.us. Join her and her team's effort to to boost campaigns, candidates, and messaging in key states. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. That was amazing. Thank you both so much. Bye-bye. So Carrie, again, so waytolead.us is the mm-hmm. is the pack. And then bit.ly. I mean, I'm, I'm maybe are you guys familiar with bit.ly as a way to shorten links? And then slash right. DKMMP, mid midterm messaging project. Um, yeah. Um, and that, key. and if you want it, right. If you want to check out some of their findings and what they, you know, what they, what conclusions they had based on polling, et cetera, that's the place to do it. I'm going to go, I'm going to go there. Oh, <laughs> I know you that. are. I know you are. I'm sure you're going to be writing from it. You and know, then I'm going to, I'm going to claim it's an exclusive. That's exclusive. <laughs> you know, when, when, you know, we were talking about Jennifer coming on and talking about messaging, I was like, uh, there's a lot of messaging gurus in the Democratic Party, and a lot of them basically they're just pulling stuff out of their head. Like this is what I think, and so I was like, let's make sure. Like you know, I, I wanted to make sure that there was like research and polling, and because that's what's sort of critical. And I know we're very much daily because as a reality-based community, we have our own polling and survey data research firm. And it's good. I love people like this that are actually really look, looking for that empirical evidence. What is working? What is not? We're not going to pretend to know. We're going to go in with an open mind. We'll test these different messages out. Let's see if Democrats are pedophiliacs. Let's see if that works. I mean, you know, we didn't ask her if <laughs> how that pulled. And so I suspect probably not well, but it probably pulls well with their people. Right. I mean, they, they, I mean, they can't get outraged about masks anymore. And, no, I, and COVID restrictions and vaccination because uh, for worse, you know, we've given up on that politically. It's just, it's too much of a, too much of a danger. So, Oh, Carrie, we're out of time. I know. I know. It just went, it just flew by, flew by. <laughs> so thank you, Carrie, for being such a great co-host as always. Thanks to the whole, uh, the brief team, Walter producer, Kara and uh, Dorothy and Carolyn Thanks to Jennifer for joining us and having this incredible conversation. Please check her out at waytolead.us. And uh, and thank you, the viewer, the listener, and the reader, for being fellow travelers in this battle for our democracy. I don't think we're exaggerating when we say that this is an existential election. Our very future is at stake. And all you have to do is look at Ukraine and Russia to see what the alternative might be. So uh, thank you so much for being part of this battle with us. Thank you for joining us this week and hope to see you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcast. You can always talk to us at dailycoast.com or on Twitter at Daily Coast. See you next week.